Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Latanya Wilkins, who's the author of Leading Below the Surface, How to Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different From You. It's an incredible book. You can find it on Amazon, and it's especially important for anyone who is managing someone in any capacity and is thinking about the culture of their business. This was an awesome episode. You definitely want to tune in for the entire episode. Latanya makes so many great insights. All that to say, enjoy this episode. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You know, one of the things I'd love to talk about is leadership and management. And it's something that in today's culture, we're finding ourselves wondering, how do we find those really great employees? More importantly, how do we keep those great employees? How do we nurture in a work environment where people are like, yeah, not only do I like to work here, but I feel like I can really flourish here. We're talking about getting away from that Sunday night feeling of, oh, I don't know if I can do another week at this place versus living and working in a business where you're like, wow, this is really pinging all of my skill sets. And more importantly, I feel like I can be who I am. Today on the podcast, we have Latanya Wilkins. She's the author of Leading Below the Surface, How to Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different from You. She works with all sorts of businesses from leadership to culture to diversity and inclusion. We're going to be talking about how you can transform and shape your workplace into that psychologically safe place for you and your coworkers. More to come in this episode. Latanya, it's great to have you here today. Great to be here. Blake, thank you. How's your day going? No, it's uh, it's going pretty well. I, uh, I had a vacation that I'm coming off of and uh, <laughs> from Tulum, Mexico. So it's just very grateful I could take that trip safely. Okay, so what what took you to Mexico? Why uh, Mexico of of anywhere else? I've always wanted to go to Tulum. Uh, I think I knew about Tulum because of all the yoga retreats that were thrown at me in that area. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, we ended up staying right on the beach and, uh, where, where is Tulum? So Tulum is in the Yucatan peninsula. Okay. And so we, yeah, we went to the Mayan ruins, Chichen Itche, and we went uh, to, we swam in cenotes and cenotes. If yeah. people aren't I, familiar with I'm those. an expert on this only okay. because <laughs> my wife was just in Mexico last week. And so oh, she gave me the whole scoop on, okay. and I was like, what is this? And so, cause her sister eloped in Mexico. And so she was in Mexico too. I'm totally like now stepping on your story, all that to say, I know a little bit. And so I already feel a little connected to you now, but I, I interrupted you. What, what's, what is a cenote? Let's talk, let's talk yeah, to the audience. Yeah. A bit about I would this. love to hear what your thoughts. So everybody has a different metaphorical perspective of what a cenote is, but I think of them as Mayan holy water because that's they were formed as like sinkholes in the ground, and then they they were filled with natural uh, fresh water, 
And so when you swim in it, it's just amazing, usually underground in a cave. And it's, uh, you know, I took my GoPro down there. Oh, yeah. It's just beautiful. <laughs> lots of fish. Your explanation and, is so yeah. much better than my wife's explanation, <laughs> which was, yeah, we went to this cave and there was like a lake in it or like a pond yeah. and it's a cenote. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, my partner yeah. is reading her explanation of it is uh, it's the umbilical cord of the earth. Okay. That's it, but yeah. So um, but yeah, they're very significant. So if you ever get a chance to go, it's way more than a pond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I love it. That's great. Well, so you you finally got back from vacation and have you have you recovered from vacation or are you I, still in kind of like that? Yeah. <laughs> the struggle is real. Oh yeah. It's been very hard. <laughs> Very, yeah. very difficult. It's tough. It's tough to come back from a vacation and go straight back into work, you know. But um, it but it is easier though if it's a job you love, you know, which it seems like you're doing what you love on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's it's a little different because giving you a little background. So this is probably my second year, maybe yeah, probably second year going into my second year doing business full time by myself, like running my business. Yeah. And before I I was I was working as I was teaching at the Geese College of Business and also doing some culture work there. And I did that for several years and then I decided to go on my own. And so it's much different returning from a vacation if you're a business owner. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. It's a whole different ballgame. And so it's uh, it's been very difficult. I mean, I, I have to remind myself that this is new and this is something I've never done before. It's different from being right. an employee and going back in the office and it, someone covered for you. I, I have an assistant in my business right. and she covered for me, but I don't have a whole team like a corporation has. Right. That is making sure everything keeps running. Well, when you're, you know, when you're a nine to five employee, it's it's exactly what you just said. I mean, the the wheel keeps turning, and you know, when you're on vacation, it's I mean, everything just stops. And so I know for me, it's hard to not worry about lost opportunity or things that aren't getting done because I'm not not around. Um, it's definitely a different world that I think a lot of the listeners can relate to. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're in your second year of the Change Coaches LLC. Talk to us a little bit about what you do, some of the services you offer. You know, what is life like for you and your business? Yeah, so I could tell you a little bit of a story about how this started because it's probably a little bit more interesting than me just giving you a spiel of my products. <laughs> the marketing, the about <laughs> me page. Or, yeah, yeah. Right. No, this is great. I, mean, I love stories. Yeah. I'm not that kind of person. I, I love it. I okay. Really Give us a the story. With self promotion and uh, unless it's authentic self promotion or sure. self promotion that people. But but you know nowadays when yeah. people say authentic, even that is. I know. You know, someone's <laughs> like, "I'm just so authentic," and you're like, "Okay, yeah, yeah." No. I know. <laughs> Okay. I like you. I like you already. Yeah, yes. sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, so about probably three years ago, I decided I was going to finally go through coach training. My mentor of many years kept urging me to be a coach. And I was like, I'm already a coach. I worked before the university. I worked in many different fortune 500 companies, consulting firms, very corporate career MBA. And then I was deciding what, what was next. I was working at the university. I was figuring out, hey, what do I want to do when I grow up? And what I decided is I was going to take my mentor up, go to coach training, became a coach, started career coaching, hated it. If people were so <laughs> unreliable, it was so, and I'm like, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. And so then I, I had this light bulb in my head, a light bulb moment where 
I thought, wait, why am I trying to hit the reset button? I've already been doing some form of coaching in my career. Why not do corporate coaching? So that's what I moved to. I've always been a cultural leader. And so I started coaching organizations, mainly teams uh, and executives to create cultures of belonging. I also coach executives who are the only ones at work. I run like a different, a whole suite of workshops. And then we do things we call culture academies with organizations that are usually around how to create a culture of belonging. And so those are those are the big things that I do these days. Talk to us a little bit about, because it feels like people who get this concept get really passionate about it. And especially business owners who really, they get the value of, of that culture that you're talking about. And then there's this other group of people who are a little bit more um, distant to it. And so when you start talking about borrowing your words, um, a culture of belonging, um, I've known executives to be very standoffish with that term of like, you know, it's really in the feelings. Like, what is that even? What is that? I mean, are we even going to get work done anymore? Um, talked a little bit about, you know, what what do you mean by this? Like, what yeah. is culture really? And um, maybe we can help, you know, for our, I think people who listen to the podcast don't necessarily think this because we talk about culture a lot on the podcast, but, you know, what are some ways you help enlighten some of the more naive leaders who um, aren't really clear on what culture is? Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why I wrote my book called Leading Below the Surface. It's out there now, how to build real and psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you. Amy Edmondson of Harvard Business School who invented psychological safety or coined that term, wrote my forward. And I wrote this book for those people that are skeptics about building cultures of belonging. It's too feely. We're not going to make enough money. So many examples. Blake, I will tell you, I've been around the block. I've worked in so many different large corporations where it was ROI, ROI, ROI. We always had dashboards. I know. I know how to create ROI. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm pretty damn sure that everything I talk about works and I know it works and I've seen it work. And so I've had the, the unique background where I've had both of those experiences together as an entrepreneur and in corporations. So what do I do? So how do, what do, how do, how do I create cultures of belonging? Well, you know, I will tell you over the last year or so, I've had several clients come to me and they I've turned them down potential clients because they want they come to me and they're they're wanting to change their culture but they, all they want is training right. and so I to, to your point with the feelings you know I talk about uh, meandering in the muck and you have to lead below the surface you have to get to the deepest levels of muck and grossness to get there and in order to get in, when you get there that's when you access what your culture really is whether you like it or not. Mm. A lot of organizations are not accessing their culture. They're asking me to come in and mold their cultures in a day or over weeks. And they haven't even sat in the muck of what their culture actually is. Yeah. It's like you, you come in and make my, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, What I've seen in my world is you come in and make my frontline people make me more money rather than understanding that it's it's the environment that's being shaped that's affecting the results that they're achieving. Um, and I've seen a lot of executives who almost are in kind of denial about, like, I love how you, you framed that of actually being in the muck. And I, what I was thinking of was actually having those honest, real conversations with your employees where they tell you 
what work is like and what the culture is like. It seems like a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to have those conversations or have that kind of transparency with their teams. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because that's I call it the three-legged stool of leading below the surface. And real conversations are part of that. I have a concept I call real leadership. That's an acronym. And real leaders are relatable. They are um, equitable, aware, and loyal. So that's R-E-A-L. They're also the second leg of the stool is empathetic. And the third is creating psychologically safe relationships. And this is the essence of creating a culture of belonging. You know, it's interesting that you say that because that's all you have to do. I've always hated DEI because it's not a separate thing. It's really about creating a culture of belonging. And these three legs of the stool work for that. And But there's so many people that, you know, they're resistant to DEI or they, they want to do DEI because they think they're just throwing something at the wall until it sticks. But this is this is really how you do it. And it's not easy. It's really a lot of people have to rewire their brain. Um, they might have to, they have to do a lot of practice. They're they're, they're basically in my book, you're being coached. It's a self-coaching book. So you can grow into this mindset over time. And and that's how your organization is going to change when your mindset changes and your leaders, your leaders' mindset change. Uh, it's all about the structures and systems. This is a structure and a system where every the the entire culture changes of an organization based on how people are treating people. Well, and I, I think about like someone on that journey of rewiring how they see things and reframing how they see things. Um, it, Harvard Business Review actually talked a lot about this topic of self awareness and like how many people. Um, are actually self-aware in the sense of how they perceive themselves, how they perceive their own leadership capacity and how it's affecting the people they work with. And pretty surprisingly, um, as HBR framed it, only 10% of people are actually self-aware in the sense of what they envision and who they actually are, are that same person. And so it seems like when we talk about um, diversity and inclusion initiatives, in many cases, it's it's hard for even people who are maybe the, um, I'm trying to get the right phrasing, maybe the biggest offenders of the kind of culture or that environment that you're wanting to create. It seems like it's hard for those individuals to realize, you know, I kind of think about like the random viral videos where like the person's being obviously racist and they say, I'm not a racist. I'm not, I'm, you know, but, and then they say something incredibly offensive in the workplace. It seems like something like that's is, is also happening where maybe not that, um, abrasive, but people who are harming that potentially safe environment, but yet, you know, it's, well, it's not me. I mean, it couldn't be me. It's, it's gotta be someone else. Um, do you find yourself having these conversations with people where you sort of help them understand um, their role, I guess, or, or the level of impact that they're creating as the leader? Yeah. And I think this kind of goes back to the real leadership model. So I talk about relatability, being an equitable leader, aware leader, and a loyal leader. And aware is, is something that you're talking about here. And I think what's hard, Blake, is I, I get a lot of leaders that are like, oh my gosh, like I can't worry about every single thing I say. So that's very episodic, right? It's like, mm. Your, the fears in you, it's episodic instead of cultural, right? Um, so shifting from that episodic feeling of 
say this, don't say this, don't say that. Oh, are you racist? Are you not? I mean, I, come on, that stuff is just, that doesn't help anyone, right? But what does help, again, is you know, thinking about your culture, being aware about who you are and listening to that. And the way that you do that is, I, I talk about two different types of listening in, in Leading Below the Surface. I talk about person-to-person listening, kind of like what we're doing now, listening, active listening. You're actively listening to me. I'm actively listening to you, playing back what we hear. And then I talk about P2B listening, and that's a new concept for many people. And that's when you are listening to see the extent to which someone belongs in the workplace. And that gives you, just being an observer gives you a lot more awareness about yourself, how you're perceived, how you're, gives you awareness around how your team interacts with you, how they perceive you, how they perceive the organization. So all these things, I mean, it goes beyond, of course, there's that, there's that entry level of, yeah, I'm going to do manager feedback, 360 feedback, but the, uh, the deeper piece of that are, again, this, is, this, are, is this three-legged stool, which is the real relationships, the empathetic listening, and then psychological safety. And is, is that real relationship, is that, is that sort of the, the basis for how you build the trust to be able to have these honest conversations? Because yeah. I, I, it, it does feel like we're in a bit of a viral world where like, I, I don't want what I say to end up somewhere online. Mm-hmm. But I also, it, it seems like when we think about that collaborative, empowering workspace, it seems like you have to be able to have that environment where someone says, hey, what, what you did there was was actually pretty offensive to me and it was hurtful. And for the other person to hear that and receive that, and I guess in the presence of the relationship say, oh my gosh, like I I had no idea that I had done that. Um, and, and I guess what I'm getting at is it's such a great concept. And yet I think people listening know firsthand that it feels like that that kind of environment is modeled by the person at the top. And yet so often not to sound cynical, but we work in those work environments where it is very much, um, this is training for you all. You know, these are things that you guys need to worry about. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this matches your experience or not, or um, I don't know. You mean the piece of being able to say if something is offensive and having that a psychologically safe relationship. So you can do I, that. I think maybe I'm I'm imposing my own background, which is typically mm-hmm. it's leaders who have been more egocentric and more mm-hmm. um unwilling to see their role. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I think that goes back to yeah, psychological safety. And it's you're you're not gonna you can bring yourself to work, you can take risk at work without repercussions. Right. And if and if that situation came up with my boss and I felt like my boss was talking over me or I felt like my boss promoted all my male colleagues before they promoted me, I should be able to go to my boss if I have psychological safety and say that without feeling like I'm going to be ostracized for expressing my opinion. And that's something again that is still lacking in the workplace. Again, when we and when we talk about diversity and having these these real conversations, we're not we're not creating psychologically safe environments where you know people won't be penalized for what they say. People are still very afraid of that. Even in listening sessions, when I facilitate those, they're afraid to say anything that could be perceived bad by the company or could be taken personally by what you said, like the CEO. 
How do you keep people from, and it's just a, a question of curiosity, it, it feels like people today are so great at picking up talking points politically mm-hmm. or like whatever was on Facebook or what have you. Yeah. How do you help people hash out these conversations without simply putting on that political hat? You know, someone makes a comment, oh, well, you're just, you know, and they say something that they've read on Facebook, you know, you're part of this group or, um, oh, you must, you just must believe this. I mean, is that also modeled by the leader who kind of gets people on the same page for how they have these conversations or, um, cause it does feel like politically speaking, it's become harder and harder to have conversations with people who are different than you without like this potential for, okay, that was a really fiery conversation. Hmm. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I, with the teams I coach, I, a couple of them have actually bought up political diversity and I, I've never really thought of that as, but it is a diversity. It's kind of like neurodiversity, right? Um, Where people think differently. What I try to do though, Blake, is I, I try to, when I coach teams, we talk about kind of what's in bounds and what's out of bounds and politics is out of bounds. <laughs> Even when I teach students, it's yeah. because usually political views are not, they're not political views. I mean, they're like people's, the manifestations of people's fears or their right. people's values. Um, but the, the way that they talk about those values is kind of like me against us, against you, me against you kind of thing. And that's why I don't like the way that that's framed. Um, so I usually let the group decide as far as my opinions different than yours. I was in a, I'll, I'll share a story. I was in a session once um, with a colleague, like we were running a session together. And after the session, this was a male colleague. He confronted me about my salary because I was paid more than him. And he basically blamed that on everything that was going on in the world and that not about my qualifications. It had to be because I was a black woman. And it's really hard to do this. I think I'm not telling everybody to do this. I think as a coach, it's something that I can access and do. And that's curiosity. And you know, I was angry. I was boiling. So I took a minute to kind of step away and kind of just let myself simmer down a little bit. And then I said to him, you know, I'm curious, where where is that perspective coming from? You know, where is that, you know, what where is what you said just come, where's that coming from? And you know, it really had nothing to do with politics or his opinion. It had to do with his insecurities. Mm. And I think it's like getting to that, which is so hard because we are so quick to jump and judge. And and I get it. It's we're triggered. But I, I think it's the the question here here is how can we allow ourselves to be triggered and be upset, but also at the same time try to be curious. And if that doesn't work, how can we create some boundaries well, you and, went, and still be able to work together? You went back to the conversation rather than I'm I'm done with you and I'm never going to speak right. to you again. No, I never do that. <laughs> and yeah. and I think that is some of the magic of what you're talking about is these is these teams building these collaborative relationships. When we say collaborative, we don't just mean like you work on a project together. 
but you're able to have that open and honest dialogue. And something you said earlier, I think is really powerful is you, you mentioned um, essentially taking risks and, and, you know, am I going to be someone to speak up and sort of wear that black hat and say, um, I don't know if that's a great idea or maybe this can't work. Um, and in an environment where you don't feel safe to do that, you're going to have a lot of yes people who aren't necessarily going to speak up. Um, and that's a direct tie to the results that the business is achieving. So I think that's powerful for all of us listening is understanding that it's another point towards we're not talking about warm feelings. We're actually talking about an environment where people, um, like when we talk about innovation and trying new things and testing the market, these are all things that come out of um, this kind of collaborative relationship. Um, does Maslow's hierarchy of needs come up in your work at all? It does. It does. And the way that I talk about it is safety is a basic need. And it, it's interesting because, again, these organizations call me and they want me to basically work magic, which I can't do if the basics aren't there. Because a basic, a basic need is safety. A basic need is belonging in order to get to the higher uh, parts of the pyramid. So, yeah, I talk about that concept a lot. Yeah, and so for our listeners, um, uh, as Latanya mentioned, the, it basically envision a pyramid, and at the very top is like your um, it's self actualization, like you're living out your calling, so to speak. The only way to reach the top of that is to meet the needs below it, and like Latanya mentioned, um, literally your physical and emotional safety uh, is one of your biggest needs. And so, uh, Latanya, this is a topic that comes up a lot. Uh, and some of my own content on, well, you have a, you have a boss, for example, who says, well, I, I want that employee who is going to be a rock star. Like I want that employee who's going to make me 10 times what I'm paying them. And sometimes it's hard to make that connection between that successful, powerful employee and my role as a boss actually meeting their most basic needs. And it comes up a lot, I think, in today's culture of uh, minimum wage and what is a living wage and what can that do for our employees. And um, it's always interesting. I talked to someone who she was trying to figure out how to pay her employees less than minimum wage, um, which she was like, surely there's like a loophole. And I was like, no, there's, <laughs> please stop doing this. But it's, but she was also wanting, I want all my employees to be these rock star people, not understanding that their basic needs aren't being met. Um so I'm not surprised to hear that it, it comes up in your own work. Yeah, I love that you brought up minimum wage. Do you ever read uh, Dan Price? And yeah, uh, yeah, he's I the uh, Seattle, or maybe he's yeah. Portland. I, yeah. I have a really bad habit. Like my friends from Seattle and Portland both make fun of me because I always mix up which who's from from where. But uh, yeah, so for our listeners, Dan Price, he uh, what's what's the name of the business he was the CEO of, or he is the CEO. It's, uh, Payments. Uh, it's a payments company, and he. It's uh, Gravity Payments. Yeah, is the name. So, of it. so he made headlines. I guess it was about five or six years ago, uh, because he essentially said, "Hey, we're going to get rid of our tiered um, pay systems, and uh, everyone's going to be making. I think it was at least seventy thousand dollars or something like that. It was whatever some study had come out to say was like the bare minimum for a happy, healthy life, um, and." There were some very angry people who wrote to him that he was very open about, but um, actually many of his customers wrote to him and said how much they admired what he was doing for his employees. 
And interestingly enough, um, you know, five years later, uh, he has proved the masses wrong. He is still in business, and uh, he's actually become quite the vocal figure on this topic. Thriving, yeah, thriving, yeah, yeah. His employees actually work harder, and they they work more without him asking. And that's not even what he's advocating. So yeah, yeah. he's he's figured out like the Jedi mind trick for <laughs> right. Right. And, and here's what's interesting to me though, Latanya is. I feel like we have these conversations a lot on like, how do you motivate your people? But like, we're not actually really willing to do the work. It's like, it's like, okay, tell me how to make my employees happier, but don't tell me to pay them more. Mm-hmm. And it's like this weird, um, it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, but that's often kind of, I don't know if we're just, if we're just, you know, because of like an iPod, we're just trying to get like to the quickest, you know, what's the quickest way I can get to the answer. Um I don't know. It's it's weird, but and I'm sure you have these conversations a lot where you you have to sort of educate and help leaders understand. There's not necessarily a quick, um, you know, yay, we did a training. Like mm-hmm. now we have a safe work environment. Um, so and all this stuff is even more important because I'm sure all of you and all your listeners have heard of the Great Resignation, and people want more from their jobs. And so what's happening is masses of people are having existential crises about work, even some of my clients. So, so clients will, will pay me to coach one of their executives. And then like four weeks later, like, peace out. I'm like, I'm going somewhere else, you know? And I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's happening more and more where, you know, luckily with many of the situations I come into, I get in there early enough to kind of be able to coach the person so, so they can have better communication with the companies they're at. But people want more. I mean, they want the basics as as Blake, you're talking about, but they also want to be able to have deeper connections. They actually right. want to have work that's more aligned with their values. They actually want more meaning. And if you're if you're one of those CEOs that like you mentioned at the beginning, oh, this is too feely, touchy feel, then you're not gonna have employees because it's this is what they care about. I mean, it's messy. It's like humans are messy, they're not perfect. And you know, just with uh, and then we were talking about this before we started recording. Like eight, 90% of my clients have small children. And, you know, you get, I tell them, don't apologize for your children. And like, like the, like the uh, you know, the, the mishaps they put in your schedule. Um, that's how it goes. And, yeah. and so we have to be, again, just more understanding. And if you're not, then it's your employees are not going to stay. Right. And I, I think it's interesting. Um, what's funny, you mentioned the small children. I texted my wife about 10 minutes ago and I was like, she, I can literally hear her screaming. So I don't want people to think I'm abusing my child in the background, but um, it, it's, here's what's weird to me is it, it so we, we have this, this massive worker shortage and, and naturally it's really obnoxious how politicized it's become, but it's, I love how you, you phrased it. This, you know, we're coming out of COVID and it's sort of this existential, especially for people who worked in work environments where their boss or their business didn't necessarily take care of their physical safety. I think they, they especially are really wondering, like, why am I putting myself out there? But Latanya, as you're talking, like, this concept feels so simple. And I feel like when I talk to people, it, it's not hard for me to find other people who are like, yeah, yeah, of course, like take care of your people. Of course, like pay them a living wage, of course. And yet it feels like there's still such this weird disconnect. Is it generational? Like, is it, is it like, is it people who've been in business for 30 years are now suddenly like, oh, wow. Like I have to, 
I have to take. I, I mean, no one's going to tell you that they don't want to take care of their people. And yet it feels like the younger people in business that I'm talking to, it's a more natural, intuitive. Um, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of, I'm sure there's plenty of people who've been in business a long time who get this concept. Um, but it does feel like this strange old guard versus um people who are are coming into business who haven't been in it as long as others who are more naturally uh, inclining themselves towards this. You know, it's 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 interesting you say that. And I don't know, like I've been trying to put my finger on it. I don't know. Some, some of it's probably industry. Some of it's probably age. Some of it's, it's probably compounding factors. But the one, the, the one metaphor or analogy I want to give you is that, you know, there are people that struggle in the world and some people are willing to go to a therapist or a coach, right? And kind of talk about their struggles and get through their struggles. So there's that camp of people. And then there's a camp of people that are like, Heck, no, I'm not going to a therapist. Like, why would I go to a therapist? Like, I know I'm in control of my life. So I think it's kind of like that. Like there's yeah. just, there's just the people that, and I, I do think that people that are younger, maybe they are more willing to go to therapy. I don't know why. I think there's just, there's just more, I think there's less stigma um, with younger people. Like when you think about older people, like, you know, people, when I think about my parents' age, like they never were able to talk about feelings in the workplace. And now it's becoming more common. And it's just that the younger generation grew up with that. So I put it in two camps, like either you're willing or you're not. There are some people that are in between, but I don't know if it's age. I mean, I really think it's, uh, you know, I talk about uh, Keegan's theories of human development. He talks about, um, you know, the different levels. And I think it's the people that are at the higher levels of human development that are able mm. to just tap into different parts of their human existence. And that's the not just the prefrontal cortex, the rational side, but also the, the emotional side. And, and that's just how it is. And I help people be able to do that. And it's sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. You know, it's funny, like a lot of my male executive clients that are more traditional male, like clients that are, you know, CEOs of companies. They're always like, you're like my therapist. I'm like, oh, you're a therapist, but I guess you could think of me that way because they never really had to think about business like this. Yeah. And now they're they they're forced to because of their workforce. Yeah. Well, Latanya, this has been a deep conversation. It's been a fun conversation. Um, we're gonna have to have you come back on the show uh here down the road, maybe later this year. Um, or I guess actually we're we're getting towards the end of the year. So next year we'll have to have you come yeah. back and share some more. Talk to me like what's what's happening next for you? You have this amazing book out. Uh, I'm excited to pick up a copy and check it out myself. Um, what are you working on next? Is there going to be a second book? Is there going to be just digging down on more customers, more clients? What's happening next for you? Down the road there will be a second book. And my my personal mission in life is to, to change the workplace for good and create tons of below the surface leaders, millions of below the surface leaders. I talk about this on Clubhouse. And so that's what I'm focused on. I'll do that through courses so I can scale some of the content, mm -hmm. some of the concepts, uh, building a movement around this and building a movement of people that are not going to put up with all the leaders you're talking about earlier, I call those surface <laughs> leaders in the book, yeah. but it's, it's time for the workplace to change this, the, this, these models aren't working. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I 
you, know, you talk about people who won't put up with it. I, I empathize with people who don't necessarily know their worth enough where they are going to that miserable job where they're unhappy and they're unfulfilled and they think this is normal. I think mm-hmm. this is what work mm-hmm. is supposed to be like, yeah. which is very dreary when you think about what you're going to spend the next you know, 30, 40 years of your life doing. So um, props to you. And I'm excited to see where this goes for you. And I'm excited to get an update from you down the road. For people who are listening, who maybe they want to work with you, they want to connect with you, what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, the easiest way and the easiest thing to remember is leadingbelowthesurface.com. And so that's the landing page for the book. You can also, and you can access my website, everything else from there. Again, leadingbelowthesurface.com. I'm also on Instagram at Latanya Wilkins, or sorry, at Latanya Coaching, and then also LinkedIn. And so you can connect with me on those. Those are my most active social networks. And you're on Clubhouse too? I'm on Clubhouse and I'm building a community called uh, Leading Below the Surface. It's a sanctuary space. I call it for people that are fed up that I yeah, oh yeah. that want to be that want to lead below the surface or that do lead below the surface but feel ostracized because of it. I feel like they don't fit in. It's an awesome community. Join. We don't do a lot of self promotion. We just talk to each other and get below the surface with each other. I feel like anyone who's on Clubhouse is like one level cooler because it's like <laughs> you know it was exclusive and like now people are getting on it. And so whenever someone's like, "Oh yeah, I'm on Clubhouse," I'm like, "Okay, wow, this person." person's the real deal. So um, what's your handle on Clubhouse? Just Latanya Wilkins. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, Latanya, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Blake. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the link to um, uh, the website leadingbelowthesurface.com. I'm also going to put her Instagram and her LinkedIn uh, uh, profile links down in the episode description below. So you can check that out as well. And lastly, I'm going to have in the episode description, you can check it out. It's going to be a link to her book. You absolutely want to make sure you check out leading below the surface, how to build real and psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you. I promise it will make your life and your company, everyone working there, their lives better, uh, from checking this book out. Uh, so that'll be down in the episode description below. Uh, by the way, if you've been following the podcast for a while, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click that follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you're at. And don't forget, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash good advice. You can buy me a cup of coffee, which I like my coffee. So patreon.com slash good advice. And as always, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for checking us out. And that's today's good advice. We'll catch you later.